Well, I just want to extend the utmost thanks to my brothers and, and my sister here for the service that they provide us and leading us in song. The New Testament actually says that. It addresses believers that when we gather, we ought to address one another in, in spiritual songs and hymns, and they are fulfilling the commandment of Christ as they do what they do, and they know how we enjoy it while they do so. It was the, the fullness of time at the opportune moment in history. It was observed plainly by people alive in the day, and it has been preserved for us in sacred scriptures of the life of a man who was one born for the exact moment in which he lived. The man was a prophet, but he was no mere prophet. The man was a priest, but he was no mere priest. The man was a king, but he was no mere king. His contemporaries, his friends, his followers, his disciples called him Jesus. And Jesus spoke truth. Never a lie was found falling from his lips. And he did not speak truth as though it were something he had learned, meaning he at one point did not possess it. But when he spoke truth, it were as though the truth were true precisely because he was the one speaking it. Unlike the noble religious men of his day, he proclaimed his message with authority, for it proceeded from him. At one point early in his ministry, this Jesus stepped into a synagogue and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. He unrolled that scroll and he read these words. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And it was expected that he, he were to keep reading the passage which he was handed that morning, but didn't do so. He rolled up the scroll, he handed it back to the attendant, and he went and sat down. Now all of the eyes of the people in the synagogue were upon him. And he said, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus spoke to the Jewish people. He told them that he was the son of man that had been prophesied so long ago. He told them that he was their Messiah. And he told them that he was the son of God. And he told them that he was God. Those men who were undoubtedly only by God's sovereign hand of providence placed in the positions of leadership which they held in authority. They, they heard Jesus' claims. They knew what he was saying. They did not know it in a deeper sense of the word. Wicked men who hated God sought to have this man, Jesus, killed. And what they sought to accomplish, they did. They brought their plan to fruition and completion. 
this man Jesus, who told them that he was their God, lie victim and prey to their murderous hands. How they enjoyed the sick, twisted pleasure that men get when they do evil. How their blood was rushing and their hearts beating with thrill and excitement as they stripped and they flogged him. As they pounded steel through his wrists. As they watched him struggle to breathe and the pain he endured in his final agony. When it was all over, Jesus gave up his breath. He bowed his head and surely he was dead. And as I spoke to you before, these things took place in the fullness of time. Jesus' body was laid to rest in a tomb, and a great stone was rolled before it, sealing in his body. Well, this was the reason why they did that. His opposers, those who were against him, had heard Jesus say when he was alive that after three days he would rise. And so the men, the authorities who had Jesus killed, they suspected that perhaps his followers, his disciples, under the cover of darkness at night, would go into the tomb and they would steal his body and they would show forth an empty tomb and they would be able to spread this rumor and say, look, just as he had prophesied, he had risen. Jesus was a threat to them and they wanted to avoid that potential annoyance to them. So they had it commissioned that a great and mighty stone would be rolled before the tomb to keep it as secure as possible. Well, upon the first day of the week, after the Sabbath, two women went down to see the tomb. And what had happened? But that the stone had been rolled away. And behold, there sitting upon it was an angel of the Lord whose appearance was that of lightning and his clothing white as snow. The angel spoke to the women, saying, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold... He is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. Now what the angel had spoken to the women was so. For when they departed, who was there to greet them but the man who had just previously been crucified? Who was there to greet them but the man who had just previously bled to death on a cross and was buried in a tomb with a great and mighty stone rolled before it? And he greets them, happily. And the women, knowing what it is that they see, they worship him as is proper to do. Now I want you to understand something. What has taken place is not a myth. It is not a fable. What they have observed with their own eyes was the resurrection of the dead. What has taken place is that a man who was once dead is now walking and talking. And this man who was walking and talking after he was dead had, when he was alive, prophesied and predicted that he would indeed rise on the third day. And every word which he spoke on the matter was true. And it indeed did 
come to pass. Now this confirms two things, and they are two very important things. First, everything that Jesus had claimed for himself was true. His deity, his messiahship, and all of the other teaching which proceeded from his mouth was inarguably and factually true the moment that he had arisen from that tomb. The other thing was this. You see, as I have informed you, Jesus, when he was alive, he said that he was the Son of God. And he taught that he had come on earth to do the very will of his Father. Now, what does the resurrection tell us other than that his work was completed, accomplished, and deemed acceptable in the sight of his Father? After his resurrection, Jesus said these words to his disciples. He said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now there are two things that I wish by the grace of God and the power of His Holy Spirit to make known to us all on this day concerning what it is that Christ accomplished in the observed events that we have just discussed. First, Jesus accomplished personal redemption for sinners. And the other thing was this, the establishment of his kingdom. Now, at first glance, one might not immediately recognize the connection that there is between these two things, but I can assure you that they absolutely cannot be separated. Now, this first point is indeed one of great and tremendous importance. It's not something to gloss over. It's not something to be set aside while we talk about something else. This is something we need to get right. It's something that I need to get right, and it's something that you need to get right. Personal redemption for sinners. Personal reconciliation and sweet peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding between God and man, between Creator and His creatures. You see, my biggest problem, our biggest problem, the fundamental problem, the biggest, most fundamental problem that all of us have is that God is God and we are not. More specifically, this God who is God is good and you are not. You see, God, being God, has the authority, and he has done so, established his law and his statutes upon his creation. You see, by virtue of the fact that he is creator, and we are his creatures, God gets to determine all moral oughts. That is, he decides what is right, what is wrong, what things we should do, what things we should not do, what is proper and what is improper. And this is his law. He has established his law, which is a reflection of his holy, good, and perfect character. Because God is good, his law is good, therefore his law ought to be obeyed. But here is the thing. God is good, 
and, and we are not. And although the Bible says that the work of the law is written upon all of our hearts and that it bears witness to our conscience, we break that law. Everyone, including the preacher standing before you this morning, and you as well. Now, I know that's not the most popular thing to say, and preachers are not supposed to tell their hearers that they are sinners. But I'm afraid that if you do not earnestly and sincerely grapple with the reality that you are a sinner, then you will have absolutely no foundation upon which to embrace any of the wonderful, glorious, hopeful promises that we have offered to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sin is universal. Every single person who is hearing my voice right now from the moment of their conception had within them a very sin nature. And so although the law of God is written upon all of our hearts, our flesh and our desires are to rebel, to not obey. And we desire to rebel because we think that our passions, our wants, our lusts are more important than the holy and righteous character of God Almighty. The reality is we are fallen creatures. We are sinful people. And there may be someone here this morning who objects to what the young preacher boy is saying. You may object by saying, how dare you call me a sinner, young man? Do you have any idea how arrogant that is, how arrogant you sound, and how disrespectful you are? You have no right to call me a sinner. I am no such thing, and shame on you. Okay? Well, if that's you this morning, and that's what you're saying, I have awfully terrible news for you. I have nothing to offer you if you're not a sinner. I, I, I don't even know what to say to you if, if you're not a sinner. You see, if, if you are not a sinner, you will find no hope in Christ. Christ died for sinners. He, he died for sinners alone. And so if you're, if you're not a sinner, then, then you are without hope. You are without a chance of reconciliation. You are without a chance of salvation if you are not a sinner. Now some of you here, you do recognize what I'm saying. And it is resonating with you. It resonates with you. You, you hear me saying that you have sinned and, and your conscience is convicted because you know that it's true. You know the reality of your fallenness and your sinfulness. It is more real to you than anything else. If you are experiencing that feeling right now, I just want to tell you to take a moment quietly to yourself. You don't need to bother anyone sitting next to you, but, but truthfully, take a moment to yourself and, and thank God for that feeling because that is the evidence of God, the Holy Spirit, and His grace actively working on your heart. God is just. He is exceedingly just. And a just God will not leave any sin unpunished. And you need to understand something. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. You need to realize that the consequences for sinning against an eternal and holy God is eternal punishment. 
Now, some of you are surprised to hear me say such a thing. How, how dare I say that? But it is true, and, and it's, it, it's more than true, and, and it's a sobering reality. Now, I will fully concede to you that not all churches would dare say and teach what it is that I am saying to you. And, and again, just like preachers are not supposed to tell their hearers that they are sinners, they are also not supposed to warn their hearers that who are sinners about the reality of coming judgment and the existence of a real and literal hell. And some preachers will obey this cultural standard. They, they want to be acceptable. They, they, they fear that, well, if I tell them that they are sinners, then they're not going to come to my church, and if they don't, and then we'll be unpopular, and if they're not coming, they're not going to be able to offer us any of their money, any of their tithes and their offerings. And if, and if the people don't give us their money, then how are we going to afford all the different extravagances and programs that our modern churches have to offer? And, and so to, to settle this, they just decide, you know what, I'm just going to obey people's feelings. I'm just going to obey what the culture says. I'm not going to tell them these things. Now, I, I just want you to know something. I realize that I myself will have to stand before the Lord one final day. And I, I know that I have a lot that I'm going to have to deal with before Him. E even though I, I, I am saved by grace, all that I do will still be judged by the Lord. But, but really, I, I do not envy those who would be unwilling to tell you these things. I do not envy those men on the final day. You must listen to me, and you must take my words very seriously. And, and, and I just want you to know something, that if you could see into my heart, you would realize that there is a lot of conflict in here. Oftentimes, I, I will question my own motives, why it is that I do the things I do, why it is that I, I take the time to study the Scriptures, why it is I take the time to preach. And I won't lie to you for a moment and pretend that I am perfect. But sincerely, I want you to understand that the reason why I would ask anyone to come out here this morning and to listen to these words that I have to say is because in my heart, I first and foremost love Jesus Christ, and I love him with all of my heart, but secondly, I love you. And, and I don't say that to be friendly. I say it because I do love you. Many of you who are standing here this morning, you don't have any idea how many hours have been spent on my knees before my God talking to him about you by name because I love you and I care about you. Some of you who I don't know, I have been praying for you as well. I pray sincerely for these things because I care about you and I promise you that this is true. And I'm not going to let the potentiality of your being offended, getting in the way of me telling you the most important message that you will ever hear in your life. And it's not that Jesus died and, and rose again so you could have a happy life or a fulfilled life, a meaningful life, a successful life, or any of these things. Now, I, I don't know where all of you are going to be spending the rest of your day. Some of you may be going to another church service or listen to a sermon online or, or, or something to that effect. You will hear in the United States of America every day literally 
thousands of sermons telling you that the sum and substance of the gospel, the meaning of Good Friday and Easter and, and, and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you will literally hear men stand in a pulpit with a Bible before them and tell you that the significance of these things is that Jesus died so you could have a better life with success and, and, and with all, all of these different worldly things. Or, and it's, it's, it's all nonsense and it's meaningless and it's, it's stupid and it's really evil. So here is the thing that is aching in my heart. It's the longing of my soul and the fire in my bones. You and I have sinned, and not just a little bit, but with our whole entire beings. We have sinned in action. We have sinned in word. We have sinned in thought. Our very nature is sin, for we are the fallen sons and daughters of Adam who in the Garden of Eden, almost as soon as God could get the words out of his mouth and giving them a commandment and ought of what not to do, just as soon as it was spoken did they break that command in rebellion. If we are honest with ourselves, we must and, and we just simply must recognize that each and every one of us personally, and, and, and I mean I mean. Personally, I, I, I'm talking about you. You with all of your life experience and your passions and your desires and your aspirations and your opinions. I know you think you're so special and I know you think that you're so important and you think that where you're going to school or what it is that you do for a living or, or your friends and your family and your whole little world and, and you just think the world of yourself that you're so special that you're so important and you're so unique and when you walk into a room everyone ought to just stop and stare at you and I get that I understand that we all live with from this point of view our entire universe is what's inside of our heads and our five senses and I get that feeling but you must recognize that you who you are your identity with the name that you're parents gave you from the day that you were born and, and who people have known you by, you, soul, individual, you are a sinner. And, and, and you must listen to me right now. You have sinned against God, God who is holy and not just holy, but holy, holy, holy. And, and, and who is perfect? And you are not. You have broken his law and, and for that you personally yes you you deserve God's wrath and, and the very fact that he is not pouring it out upon you in full right now is only a matter of his grace and mercy you see these are hard truths it's hard because it goes against our way of thinking it goes against our natural worldview. And you see, I'm just like you. My, my flesh hates to be called a sinner. My, my flesh hates the fact that God is God and I am not. How do I know that? Well, because even though I am a, a new creation in Jesus Christ, I, my flesh will still sin. I, I, I love God. I, I love His Word. And more than anything, and, and yet I sin. And, and so I know then that I am a sinner. 
and I know then what it is that I deserve. I deserve hell, and I understand that it's a hard truth. But I have another hard truth for you, and it's not a hard truth in, in the same way. For although what I have spoken to you is conflicting to me, and it, and it gets me, and it stabs me, and it pierces me, it's, it's logical. It, it makes sense. It, it, it follows. Just as 2 plus 2 equals 4, so does the fact that God is holy plus the fact that I'm a sinner mean that I deserve his wrath. It, it's a thought that makes sense. But there are truths that are hard truths, not because they don't make sense, but they're hard. Bec- uh, they're not hard in the sense that they are conflicting. They are hard truths because our minds literally cannot comprehend them. And what it is I am about to say to you is, is absolutely 100% emphatically true. It is a truth that is found all over the pages of Scripture. It is a truth that many of you here this morning have experienced for yourselves, and it is a truth that I have experienced for myself. You see, Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says this, and I should just like to point out that as other preachers have remarked, this may be the most important verse in the Bible. Should you forget anything else that I have said to you this morning, please remember this. Write it down. Put it to memory. Tell your spouse to remind you of it later. Whatever it is that you have to do, please just just, just get this. I, I want you to know this truth. And so what's going to happen is I'm going to read to you what this verse says, simple enough. Sound waves will carry the vibrations of my voice to your ears. You will hear what it is that I have said. This verse of Scripture will be in your mind. But my friend, should it remain only in your mind, it can do you no good. This must enter into your heart. And I will be praying that it does. And uh, perhaps you may feel led to join in in that same prayer. And I would encourage you to do so. You see, the scripture says this. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is a truth that to this day, I can't understand it. And I can't comprehend it. I know it's true. The Scripture says that it's true. I've experienced it in my own life. I've experienced it in other people's lives. It it is something that God has made known to me by His Spirit. I know that it's true, and yet it remains the greatest mystery to me and one that I should feel like I will be spending my entire life trying to grapple with. It's the single greatest mystery that has ever been revealed to mankind that holy God would desire, not because he is compelled to, or because he is held to some standard that we put upon him and we say, God, you have to do this, not because he is obligated to, but because of who he is. The scripture says God is love because of who he is and in his grace and in his mercy, he decides to glorify himself by showing love to sinners. And he has shown his love to sinners in this 
particular way. John chapter 3, verse 16. Some of you can quote it from memory. It's a verse that we all know, we all love, but we often kind of misunderstand it because here's what it says, and, and of course you know this. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so we often think that that word so means quantity. Like God just loves the world so much, he, he just can't get enough of it or something like that. Well, that is, is a misunderstanding. You see, in the original language, the thought being communicated is this. God has loved the world. He has shown his love to the world in this way. So is not quantitative. It's, it's descriptive. Here is how God has shown his love to the world. He literally sent forth his only son to be beaten, to be mocked, to be crucified, ultimately to experience his own very wrath. He does this. Jesus does this, bearing the very sins and iniquities of many sinners. And he suffers as though they were his own sins, although he himself had lived a perfect life. And when he does this, it works to this very purpose, that whosoever throughout time or space, including you right now, soul, individual, including you, if you should call upon the name of the Lord and repent of your sins and believe in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. You will have eternal life. It will not be something that you need to work for. It will not be something that you need to strive for. For the scripture says, he who believes has eternal life. Present tense. You have it. The Holy Spirit seals that to you as a guarantee of your inheritance. It is a gift that will not be taken from you. For the scripture says that says no one can separate us from the love of God. Who shall bring a charge against God elect? It is yours, and it is yours now. It is yours to rejoice in and experience and, and be so thankful for. And then every morning when you wake up and, and you take your cup of coffee and, and you drink it, you say, God, thank you for this. You say, God, thank you for this day. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. And you will not be saved just a little bit, but you will be saved completely. For Christ died, but the tomb did not hold him. He rose again. This is what we are remembering here today. He rose again. And not to die again, but he ascended to the right hand of God, and he consequently is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. You see, O oh poor sinner, this is your hope. This is your hope, and it is your only hope. You must repent of your sins. You must believe in Jesus Christ. You must hear his voice. You must take heed of his commandments. For he spoke so long ago, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. 
repent and believe in the gospel. So now I just have one last thought that I should like to leave you with. As I mentioned earlier, in his death and resurrection, Christ accomplished not only the personal redemption of many sinners, but he also inaugurated and established his very kingdom. These were the words that he had spoken to his disciples after he rose again. He said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I want to make this final announcement. Jesus Christ is King. Jesus Christ is King. King of what? Well, He is King of this whole entire world. It says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given Him. Now that may not seem like it's true. For in our day, there are a great number of many hostile enemies against Jesus Christ. The prevailing culture in, in which we live hates everything that Jesus stands for, yet he is king. Well, how is that so? Well, because he himself said that his kingdom is not of this world. It is not carnal, it is not worldly, it is not fleshly or anything like that. But yet Jesus said this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And when he spoke those words, there were 11 people standing there. There were 11 people standing there in an obscure part of the Middle East hearing him say, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And it would seem like such an impossible promise to believe for the men who were standing there. The, the entire nation is against them and against everything they stand for. But as one man pointed out, there are more professing Christians alive today in this world than were alive at the time in which those words were spoken. When Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me, those people did not even know that this land existed. It would not be for at least over a thousand years till the gospel would be brought to this place. And when many of the native people who have been living here would hear that gospel and believe in it. For those of you who are Christians, I just want you to think about this hope. And if you are not a Christian, I want to tell you about this hope that Christians have. Though this world may hate us, may slander us, may persecute us, and it may seem as though everything were against us and if recent events in the news are indicative of anything they may be killing us in this country as they already are doing in many places across the globe I want you to remember this though the future may at times look very dark and dreary 
and we have a great number of enemies against the kingdom of God, the promise of Scripture is that Jesus is king and he must reign until all of his enemies have been destroyed. He will destroy them and he will do it in his way. And he is pleased to linger. He is pleased to take time to draw many, many sinners unto him until that day comes. Many of you here today, I do not have the privilege of peering in, inside of your heart and soul and, 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 and rearranging it or anything like that. And so many of you today, even to this very moment, remain enemies of Christ, for you have not yet bowed the knee to Him in faith. I want you to kiss the Son. Least He be angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. But blessed are those who take refuge in Him. I want all of you to know that every single person who repents of their sins and believes in the gospel has been made right with God and is taking refuge in Him. And He is so lovely. And He is so merciful. And He is the powerful King to whom all authority on heaven and on earth has been given. And He leaves us with this promise. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Won't you join me in prayer? Father God, Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this morning. Father God, it's such a privilege to be able to, to come out here and, and, and to worship you freely. Dear God, not ashamed of you not ashamed of the cross, not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Father God, let us never be ashamed of our, our friend and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father God, I, I just pray that by your grace and the power of your Holy Spirit that these words would, would glorify you in, in reaching the hearts of, of many people. Father God, I, I just pray that these words have been a blessing and an encouragement to your sheep who are here this morning. Father, I just pray that anyone here this morning who has not yet come to you by faith, that they may hear this simple and sweet message of the gospel of Christ, where he dies for sinners and we believe in him. Father, I pray that it would rest in their hearts and it would change them radically. It would give them a new nature that they would be born again. Dear God, we, we just thank you and we love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming out here this morning.